You're listening to The Exchange by Evolution, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the APAC region. I'm Roseanne, a consultant, one of the consultants in Evolution Recruitment, and I help to connect businesses with tech talents, and today, I'm your host. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, so welcome. let's welcome um, Hari from Zuno Carbon and Frederick from um, Greenery. Um, Harry, would you like to start introducing yourself? <clears throat> yeah, sure. Um, my name is Harry. I'm one of the co-founders and the CEO of Zuno Carbon. So we're in the sustainability business and mm-hmm. we're trying to help companies, small, big, anywhere in between, to help them to get to net zero. So it's not as easy as it sounds. There's a lot of cogs that are part of it. Um, so I guess we'll talk a little bit more about that today. But uh, we provide the technical part or the technology that helps you get there. Um, so yeah, excited to be here. Happy to have you here. Yeah. How are you? Hi, so I'm Fred. Um, so yeah, I run a sustainability consultancy. Um, we we take you know our client from you know day zero all the way up to where they want to be. So we help them to establish a green action plan. Um, we do the on the ground analysis of what's you know what's their consumption in terms of energy and carbon footprint, uh, and we help them to get to the optimal you know position where they want to be. Um, through implementation of technology and uh, stuff like that. I understand. And um, I guess the topic that we will start on discussing today would be like a part one version of introduction to green tech. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess we have to differentiate between green tech and climate tech as well because that's something that um, often is misleading. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. people tend to like um, not understand the difference between them. So, yeah. Um, yeah, let's just start on the introduction to green tech and its fundamentals. Yeah, um, mm. I mean, I really want to take go for it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't, my, my understanding for green tech, green tech is very much, uh, you know, focused on uh, the carbon aspect, the environmental aspect. Um, typically, uh, typically focused on on the ground, hands on initiatives, um, where where there's that immediate environmental impact. Uh, such as a robot that cleans up rubbish on the ground, uh, a boat that autonomous boat that cleans up plastics in the ocean. So that's that. That's sort of like more green tech. Climate tech uh, takes a more overarching approach, where you know carbon accounting software, um, you know green finance tools that could fall under you know climate tech as well. Yeah, I mean, but at the end of the day, I still think there's overlap. It's the same. Thing. Yeah. Right. So there's climate tech, green tech, clean tech. So, tech, sustainable yeah. tech. so at the end of the day, it's just people trying to use technology to solve the very real problems of yeah. climate change. Right. Um, so it can, it can come in different forms, like hardware, yeah. robots that help you to clean up the oceans or, or whatever, it could be software solutions. Yeah. It could even just be like greener cloud computing, you know, which is not right. something that people think about immediately, but it is. It is yeah. What is a greener cloud computer? Um, so like companies like uh, AWS, uh, Google Cloud, they provide provision of service in these giant server farms, right? Mm-hmm. And these things take up a lot of energy for cooling, for operations. Right. So there are companies out there that are experimenting with newer ways to it. So there are ones that are um, submerging their servers in water, yeah. cooling, without using electricity. Oh. Yeah, um, they are even passive yeah. cooling systems where they don't use any air conditioning. They just use the ambient room temperature. But that's not what it's going for. It could. It could be underground, so it's underground. Yeah. The oh. passive cooling works. And then, I think there's a lot of initiatives from like architects as well to create labyrinths under buildings where uh, the natural flow of the air will take away some of the heat from the building. So there's a lot of ways people are innovating there. 
which also you know, bottom your green tech or green tech. Right. Um, yeah. But you can actually think of it that way. Right. And I think the, the big question is what makes you passionate about this space? Because, you know, not everybody has a passion for green tech. How, mm. how is it that um, you feel that, oh yeah, like this is where I want to be? Mm. Well, I think it's a it's kind of no brainer for people in our generation because it's forget about the tech part, just think about the green part, right? So if if you know you're one of the few that deny climate change, then I don't know, this is not a, this is not a <laughs> platform to argue about that. But these signs are kind of in Singapore itself is getting hotter. Uh, there's so much more rain, and it's not just here. If you look at like in the U.S., the forest fires, wildfires are destroying parts of the West Coast, and then if you look at um, other island nations, right? Sea levels rising, so. It's a very real threat. Um, it's about how you go about solving it. So there are people who are passionate and like, try to go out there, try to make social change, get governments to take action. And then there's the other side of the things like us, where we are like, okay, there's an incentive. You have to incentivize yeah. the whole process, right? If you don't give them an incentive to change, I mean, if they, if they, they will not be. Yeah, there will not be a motivation to change. So I think that's that's what motivates me. And like as an engineer, I know that there can be steps taken to at least soften the ball, if not completely solve the problem. So why I sit on the sideline and wait while you do something? Yeah, I think it's interesting that you brought up, you know, your engineering background. Yeah. Because my background is I'm a scientist. Oh, cool. Right? Yeah. So for me, it's, I mean, studying uh, climate science, uh, we, we study, uh, you know, Antarctica, we look at uh, how ice sheets are melting, sea level rise. I studied geology, extraction of resources. We look at, you know, geological history of the earth. And if you talk to me about climate change, I will be saying that climate has changed many times. Mm -hmm. And for people who argue that we should take action because we want to protect the earth, I tell them that's bullshit, right? Will that be built yeah. up? Right. But yeah, it's it doesn't work because the whatever we do, you know, doesn't really impact the planet itself. Mm -hmm. It's so massive. So what I'm concerned about is the continuation of humanity, right? And preserving what whatever traditions that we have um, as a species. <clears throat> so all the actions that you know, I push uh, people to take you know, are not superficial. It's you know, very impact-driven and uh, you know, quantifiable values that you can put to them. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I think there was a recent study, it was a geological study that was showing the different um, eras of climate. Yeah. Like the Earth always has a way of correcting itself. It's just that yeah. the way of correcting itself might be getting rid of so, do we really want that ending? <laughs> it's true, We've, the Earth has had five mass extinctions. Yeah. We are looking at potentially being the sixth mass extinction. <laughs> um, yeah. It's so a very real problem. It is a very yeah. real problem. Okay, I understand. I mean, like, um, in everyday lives, it's difficult for people to feel the immediate impact. So, what would you think that would um, continuously allow somebody to be reminded of it, like, on a daily basis, compared to, like, you know, I think for me, I don't know on a daily basis, but one of the pivotal moments for me was I was passionate about doing something about it, but maybe the, the cause itself wasn't like the top of my mind. Mm -hmm. But once I started working on Zoom and you know, working with clients and looking at the problem, the magnitude of it really like blows me away. And then you look at things like landfills, right? Yeah. So like go go to your kitchen, open the uh, cover of the sink, the amount of plastic bags there. That's just you, one person or one family over the course of like a couple of months. Now imagine your whole earth doing it how much you know, crap accumulates from that. Yeah. So just thinking about that already kind of makes you want to do it. Not just you know, to save the planet or whatever, but you know, it's just wasteful right. in general. So that, that in itself is a small step to take. But that being said, I don't think that's enough. Right? People, if making individual changes in their life contributes a lot, like one or two percent of 
industry. MIT, yeah. Most of it comes from the industrial processes and stuff. So that's where we have to really, really focus on. Right. I think it's quite hard um, for people to actually remind themselves of the impact because it's quite a negative connotation, right? So, you know, rather than being in that negative state, uh, I feel that we, we the best way to remind people is through incentivization. So that's, you know, again, pertaining to one of the projects where we're doing, where we want to incentivize people to take action, uh, to be more proactive in living a green lifestyle, you know, adopting new, uh, you know, habits that, that are positive for the environment. Yeah, not so much on the spending side, not so much of buying new things that are you know, uh, good for the environment, but you know, the active lifestyle habits such as bringing plastic bags, you know, uh, not using plastic bags, bringing your own reusable bags, or like bringing a bottle around, that kind of thing, uh, every little bit helps mm. uh, just to be more conscious about it. I understand. And because you, you mentioned that um, the industries are the more of like the bigger contributors to um, climate change, right? what do you think that you could do in Singapore? I mean, Singapore is relatively small as a country. So, what is the what are the thought process behind like starting your business in Singapore and you wanting to continuously stay in Singapore to do this? Because I mean, the like countries like Germany and China actually doing like better green technologies, yeah. right? So, what 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 is what are we gonna do in Singapore? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. So, Singapore, the way I see it is, uh, I moved here. Three, four years ago mm -hmm. so i'm still relatively new to the environment but the way one of the things that we need to start in the company here is it's a hub for a lot of multinational companies and that and in addition to that it's in southeast asia so if you look at a lot of the big companies in the west like automotive manufacturers walmart nike all these guys yeah. where does the manufacturing come from thailand vietnam Bangladesh. so the emissions coming from all these big conglomerates or big uh, guys are actually happening in southeast asia but it's a means of we have a means of life it's not like they're polluting because they want to. It's yeah. just it's part it's part of the course when you're a supplier. So to be able to reach those regions in Singapore is great because a lot of the, the trade activities go through Singapore. And the other thing is that it's also it also plays a pivotal role in being like a role model in a, in a sense. A lot of the carbon trading laws, the recently they had standards for renewable energy certificates. Um, now the increase in carbon taxes, mm -hmm. the Singapore Exchange instated TCFD requirements for reporting for the listed companies. So a lot of these initiatives also will trickle down or, or spread to other regions. So it's, um, I would say it's like an inception point for a lot of the environmental policies and changes. And you can see like there's a very vibrant ecosystem here amongst um, you know, climate tech companies, consulting firms, and even uh, government-run initiatives like yeah. the MAS support project green Fit, right? Yeah, there's so, a green building. Uh, yeah, there's a green check mark and right, a, lot right, of, right. a lot of initiatives there. So it's, it's a great place to at least test their solution for scaling it up. Right. To the rest of the region. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, I think Singapore, uh, I mean, it's a great, I mean, your question, it's a great place to start these initiatives, right? Two main reasons. First one being, um, you know, the hive mind, um, the collective mindset of, you know, being so small in, in terms of population and in size, news spreads very quickly. And we're all super plugged in uh, on social media. Um, digitally all over the place. So when you when you spread something and you viralize it, it spreads really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and it's great for businesses who, who, who can feed off that, that you know, energy and, and that growth um, to, to you know, penetrate markets. And the second one is, you know, from this uh, collective um, mindset, you can then you know, initiate a lot of changes um, in terms of consumption habits, uh, in terms of spending you know, habits, uh, 
all sorts of different things, you know, what you choose to buy and how you choose to spend your money. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Singaporeans, we spend <laughs> for the small countryside that we are. I don't know, right? 11, 11, how much do you spend? Okay, let's not go there. Yeah, so um, I mean, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's the kind of thing that, that makes us Singaporean. And mm-hmm. from Singapore, we can then, you know, penetrate the rest of the other Southeast Asian economies which are a lot less developed than we are right. you know and even the Western countries as well right. and what I think through this podcast is more of understanding as well um, what who do you want to attract who do you want to work with who do you think that would um, contribute to this space and can bring I know benefits um, to both <clears> of you yeah. I mean, in terms of talent, like when, when we're hiring, mm-hmm. one of the biggest things we look for is experience is important, mm-hmm. but I think the, the drive and the, the passion for the cause, but not just like, oh, I, I care about the climate, but we want to do something about it. Right. It's something to go after because nothing nothing beats that, that motivation. Um, so that's one of the areas, but that being said, it's also important to be plugged into it, right? As, yeah. as Frederick said, all the news is out there. There's so much going on in this space. So mm-hmm. it can be a little noisy, but um, keeping abreast of whatever is going on, I think, is, is, is something we definitely need because it's a very, very fascinating landscape. So even if you're like two weeks behind, especially now because COP27 is happening, so if you're two weeks behind, you're really, really far behind. So I think that's the main point. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, funny, funny, uh, you know, memory came back to mind when, when, when somebody asked me when I came back from studying in Australia, somebody asked me, what do you study? Say, I study marine science, right? what do you want to do sustainability was my response and the uncle said oh sustainability so no money one <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's the perception of you know sustainability or anything environmentally related but that's not the case today right with all the green finance so you know I, obviously from the start there's a lot of passion um, that is this involved you know not at a superficial level if it's at a superficial level you see the attrition rate is very high and people who are, you know, still doing what they do five years, ten years, you know, from when they started, these are people who really care about what they want to do. Um, I mean, these are the people that we ideally would like, um, young and old, because, you know, you do need people of, you know, like-mindedness to help, you know, spread that message. Yeah, um, yeah but I think more and more so, we need more young minds uh, who are more in tune with, like, the tech side, the engineers come into the space to innovate. Because there is a lot that we can innovate from from where we are today, yeah. And I mean, evolution of how sustainability was, you know, segue like to the next point, right? The, of how technology was um, back then to today is so different. When I first started my business in Australia, green tech, right, was you know a few million dollar project for fishery to you know upcycle that waste that otherwise runs off into the river or into the ocean and causes pollution. Right, then coming back to Singapore today, you know, as simple as you know, five to ten thousand dollars digital solutions are another way for companies to go green. So, you know, you've got one which is very high entry of approach, um, which requires a lot of capital. But now we are finding ways for businesses to take that first step, you know, in a small way to sort of become more and more sustainable. And which is why you know we need more developers, we need more engineers to come in to, to innovate in the space. Right. And even if they have no experience, how are they going to get into that space? Like they have the interest, they have the passion. Like, yeah, I think I mean a lot of the skills are transferable, right? Uh, the domain knowledge is something you, you 
develop or your research. But the critical skills are the actual technical skills that you have, or even in some cases, soft skills. So when you hire sustainability consultants, you need them to have project management skills, client-facing skills, but the domain itself is something that can be picked up by anyone, almost. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I mean, similarly for the, for the engineering side, right? Developers, uh, even even for us, as you know, um, we don't, we, we can't say we're only going to hire developers who create a clean tech platform before. Because yeah. what we're trying to do is we're trying to build a solution that no one has ever built before. Right. So, and then and you think about any any big tech company that was once a startup, right? It's the same approach. You can't expect Apple or Microsoft to have hired engineers who have built a PC before because they're the first ones. Yep. So that kind of transferable skills, it's a subset of skills that you can put together to build something new or better. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's not restricted to people with experience. It's restricted to people with, who want to do it. Yeah, I think that drive is very important. So for myself, you know, even prior to university, when I was planning to build an underwater city, a lot of it was, you know, doing my own research about the feasibility of the science, the technology, where we are, you know, 10 years ago. And, you know, from then, when I went to university, I realized, oh, actually, more than half what they've taught in the university, I've already self-studied and I've learned on my own, you know, and it's just about putting all that knowledge into a certain framework, right, which is easy to do, you know, if you want to learn how to do climate accounting or carbon accounting, you go and take up a course with TCFD, GRI, it's only about one or two months, you know, or half a year at most um, to, to get certified and then you can, you know, actively be involved in yeah, in, in this green space. Oh, okay. Yeah, so yeah, it's so a very low barrier of entry, and it's it's a lot of fundamental um, you know science that we already have learned of, learned about in primary school. Right. It's just how you apply, um, you know, apply it to whatever you want to do in the space. Okay. Then, as as you mentioned, it has to be like um, a good incentive, right? Yeah. If we're talking about all the different tech space. How will green or rather green tech um, be on par with finance tech or like um, insurance tech? I mean, all these are like a lot of a lot more revenue, right, compared to like green yep. tech. So, can we ever see like green tech being in that space or? Yeah, I think so because um, especially now as we go forward, both 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 carbon accounting or carbon taxes and everything is intertwined with financial sector. So a lot of the incentives coming from the governments are green financing, are um, you know, carbon credits, carbon trading, carbon taxes. So it's both the carrot and the stick. So it, I would say it's on par with that because there are financial implications to it. And then uh, secondly, it's um, I would say it's a much more complex problem to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. So if you're building a financial platform, you're bringing together data that's already in dollars, whatever currency you're in. But if you're building something to do with the climate tech and you're trying to measure your carbon footprint, it's kilograms, it's dollars, it's liters, it's gallons, it's all these like intangible values or different units of values and some intangibles that you're trying to convert into this one metric. Mm-hmm. So the problem is a lot more complex, a lot more investments going into it. So there was recently a report released by one of the consulting firms that said on average, MNT spent about $1.4 million every year just on professional services to just do the accounting, the carbon accounting part. So if they're spending that much resources on just the accounting part, imagine what will go into the financing aspect. Right. And this is just a stepping stone towards that. So um, I'd say, I mean, you've seen the downtrend for a lot of the other industries. You know, FinTech has experienced a bit of uh, law. Crypto is it's a pretty big law. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> there's still quite a bit of money out there in the ESG space because it's not a, it's a perennial problem. Right? It's yeah. not something that will go away when yeah. the economy comes back. Yeah. Okay. 
well, I think to add on to that, I think it depends on the, the time frame horizon that you're looking at. You know, even in if you're looking by 2030, you know, based on how carbon tax is increasing, that's the, the amount allocated by government, you know, into to fund these areas is going to increase proportionally, right? Which is the which is the which is the reason why we even have carbon tax in the first place. Mm. Um, if you look at a longer timeline, right, 2050 net zero by 2050, you know. Put into perspective, right? If HDBs were now replaced by heaps of trash of that same height, would you, wouldn't you then spend more money to want to try to remediate that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So by that, you know, uh, you know, logic, you, you, we would definitely see an uptrend in terms of uh, green tech um, and the money and the funds being put into green tech. You know, in order for businesses, traditional businesses, to become more sustainable, or rather, to innovate new ways of life, you know, which you know makes makes it a lot easier on the environment and on us. Right. Yeah, to, to follow it from another angle as well, um, organic food, right? Mm-hmm. There's there's still a demand. Yeah. I mean, you look at it, it's like twice the price of my food, right? <laughs> yes. but a lot, a lot of people yeah. buy it. And then some of them do buy it too, right? Yeah. And the reason is because it's better for you and it's, it's technically more ethically harvested and all that, same as like free-range things. Mm-hmm. The same concept can apply to consumer goods, right? So companies can now spend more money in creating a sustainable product, but they can also pass some of that cost on to consumers who are willing to you know, pay the difference just for, for the sake of a more sustainable uh, supply chain, for the sake of a more sustainable product, or reducing their individual impact on climate. So I think the scale of this can go all the way from the individual consumer who cares about it, influencing how the companies, the large companies are working. Right. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, I guess um, what we want to actually understand as well is how will Zuno Carbon help these um, companies or businesses rather, um, not just industrial, what are like the future of Zuno Carbon with different businesses? Mm. Yeah, I mean industrial has been our focus because that's where the need is more most dire. But for us, uh, we're quite agnostic in terms of our tech. So we've, we've worked with customers in the F&B sector, mm-hmm. we'll have uh, worked with customers in the travel sector, so uh, even though the industries are different, the problem is the same, it's, it's a data problem for us. It's like, where do you get all these data points to calculate your footprint? Yeah. And the reason you need to do that is because if you can't measure, then you don't know if you have to reduce, if you have to do anything at all. And based on our experience working with clients, the moment they do their first baseline, it's usually, like, oh my God, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Rather than, oh, okay, that's, that's much less than we expect. Oh, so yes. okay. um, I think measurement, or like, at least baseline is a very, very important step for Customers and we help them do that with a lot of ease rather than um, spending a lot of grunt work. So I mean, even even for Frederick, for Frederick right? Yeah. Assuming when you guys have clients, it's you, you're not really going after the work where you crunch numbers in the spreadsheet. No. It's about helping them <laughs> take those actions and issues. Yes. So if you're spending all your time crunching numbers, and when do you actually do anything? Right. Yeah. I think you put it very uh, you know succinctly. Um, for us as traditional sustainability consultants, we do all the groundwork. When, and in the past, it's, you know, we work with traditional Excel spreadsheets, you know, with a lot of uh, collected data points which may or may not be outdated, right? Because it's at the point of collection, and and it, because there's so many data points, it's hard to go back and individually update them one by one. Having a system like Zuno Carbon would actually help make our work easier, and we can then spend the time helping businesses to craft an impactful uh, green action plan, you know, based on the impact that they want to achieve or that the difference that they want to make in terms of uh, their output. Mm-hmm. 
Right. So it's like a customized consultancy and implementation for each business. Yeah. So the way we've designed our platform is plug and play. So um, it's not so much customization, it's just you configure a few parameters to suit your industry and you can get off of the ground. But the part that adds more value is you know, what, what the consultants can do with that data. So we do provide recommendations in the sense that um, to identify some of the hotspots or problem areas, mm -hmm. but that's where our uh, chain of value stops. And then beyond that, it's up to either the company or the consultants to look at that data, look at the pain points inside. All right, I'm going to execute this, I'm going to execute this, but then not just how I'm going to execute it, how am I going to do it, who's going to do it, and how do you measure the output? Right. So our, our um, purpose as a platform is to do everything up until that point, because whatever happens after that is something where you need human interventions, you need brains, you need you know, people working together with the stakeholders. And the actual people to actually input the data for you guys? Uh, not necessarily input the data. We automate that process as well. It's more of executing the strategy. So mm -hmm. let's say um, you know, the, the, your office here, you decide that you want to measure your carbon footprint. And you mm -hmm. look at it and you have to say, say 5,000 metric tons a month. And you're like, okay, we want to get to net zero. So we will, the platform will automatically collect data from your systems. Mm -hmm. Like if you have any kind of IT systems or if you have travel logs, expense systems. and then based on this, we'll identify areas that you could possibly improve and we recommend it to you, right? And then with like uh, possible mitigation plans. So what you can do, so if, for instance, we look at your energy consumption and say, if you switch to solar, this is the amount of carbon that's built into the solar panels, but this is the amount you would save by avoiding using like fossil fuels. But the execution and how you strategize the installation of this, because this is not even your property, it's a lease property, right? Yeah. So how do you execute this? How do you get this done? And then how does this impact your overall sustainability strategy or goals? That's where you need the real like, brains behind it. And that's where the consultant comes in, the advisory comes in, and that's where your stakeholders have to be involved. Because if you go to a CFO and you say, hey, can you fill out this spreadsheet for me? I mean, <laughs> yeah. at this point, you, you'll be surprised. A lot of Fortune 500 companies, they still do that. Yeah, oh, where really? all these stakeholders have to fill in little questionnaires within yes. uh, either Google Forms or a spreadsheet. Oh, really? Yeah. So we're trying to get avoid that situation mm -hmm. so they can actually make the decisions that matter right. and work with like firms like Greenway uh, to, to get the ball rolling on that side. Yeah, we traditionally send them about 20 pages of uh, Excel <laughs> to fill up. Um, it's a lot of information we need because end of the day, to, to establish that baseline is all information. It's all data right. points right. that we need to understand. And if you don't understand the business, it makes you know um, moving off from where you are today a bit harder, right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you know, you'd just be randomly plotting anywhere along the chart. Yeah. You know, you might even be regressing without knowing it. So I think a very big thing of why this is important is you know, so uh, one one very big example, a lot of companies that do uh, delivery, right, logistics. Um, you know, the technology. I mean, the push is you know move towards an uh, electric fleet, right? But in in it. In essence, you know, while you have a fleet of vehicles that are still working, if you just transition purely into electric vehicles, you know, you're going to incur a large uh, carbon footprint in terms of the manufacturing and, and all that, which, you know, they may not know that, you know, where the, what vehicles they are using today are already quite optimal in terms of the delivery process, right. you know. So, I think establishing that baseline is where zero carbon comes in, we come in, greenery um, or other consultants can come in afterwards to then look at that benchmark and advise companies on how to, you know, where to go from there and, uh, you know, what are potential solutions that can be explored, you know. And in terms of, you know, when, if you're coming back to the point where of who should be coming into this space, mm -hmm. I, I personally believe people who are jack of all trades, 
do very well in this space because they are able to you know just randomly connect the dots like a beautiful mind and um, and and you can match make and it works fantastically in, in sustainability right you have companies in uh, in France which are power plants and you've got fish farms next to them because of the cold, cold climate they use the warm the, the heat you know to warm up the water so they can raise tropical fish in temperate regions which are more productive than you know temperate fish so it, these are the kind of systems that you need to understand um, across different industries across different sectors to piece them to piece them together to find the most okay. uh, kind of ideal uh, you know, outcome of good that's very interesting yeah okay okay um so i guess now um this would be like the part one of our podcast because we will want to talk more about how this will be incentivized this would be um a good revenue stream for um, the green tech industry and how we can i guess further probe into why people should be a part of this industry i mean we are here to raise awareness and also um, educate people in this space yeah right so um yeah do you all have anything else you want to share for part one of our green tech i think um it's a very exciting space so hopefully more more people come in and in fact we do see a lot more people entering the, entering the field because when uh, we hired our first sustainability analyst back in 2021, mm-hmm. early 2021, um, you know, we had like a handful, maybe 10 candidates. But now you, you put applications out there, we get in the, in the hundreds, close to a thousand sometimes. In Singapore. Yeah. So you're seeing a lot more of a transition from traditional consulting, from traditional IT to sustainability. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you interview them and uh, you discover that, I mean, everyone in somewhere in there is passionate about color, but the ones that are willing to do something about it. So, especially when someone's switching from tech at one of the bigger tech companies yeah. in Singapore to fields like this, they're obviously taking a pay cut, but they're happy to do that because it's something they're happy about, passionate about doing. Because, I mean, not, not to crap on any industry, <laughs> but how exciting it is to work on like insurance. <laughs> it's, it's cool in some ways. It's good money. <laughs> Precisely, it's good money, but like, um, and, and it's something that one of my colleagues, so uh, he, he worked at, uh, he worked in consulting for 20 years. Okay decided to join us earlier this year and he was saying that um, during this first or second he was like man I feel happy to like, wake up and come to work again so it's something that people feel passionate about because you can see the tangible impact of it in a lot of cases and it's not just about helping big companies reduce because at the end of the day it's also about showing that impact that they're in this country yeah. because Singapore is also committed net zero so how can we help them progress towards the national goal which in turn helps us all right because mm-hmm. if carbon taxes go up to 80 dollars per, t- uh, per ton or whatever it also will be passed on to us as consumers. Yeah. So yeah. it's in our best interest that everyone reduces their carbon footprint. They will definitely pass it down to us. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. And, and I think to add on to that, I think the more, especially the, the more aged population, you know, mm. those close to the retirement age, they have a lot of value to add. So my parents, for example, um, my dad's worked in, you know, like a Seagate sort of company where, where he does very traditional engineering. Right. And they don't think about sustainability until you know they learn about sustainability. Right. And when they do, you know, they actually come up with very innovative solutions on how processes, which they've been doing for 20, 30 years, could change. And you know, it's just a thing of you know, out of sight, out of mind. And if yeah. they are not looking at it, you know, it's not something that they've considered. So you know, hopefully we get more people who are you know, more mature looking at the podcast, <laughs> watching it, and uh, interested to find out more about how they can change. 
Yeah. 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 One spaces. Yeah. Just to add on to that, actually, that's a very good point. Like education is such a huge thing in sustainability. Yeah. Because back in 2020, when we first started working on working in the sector, we went we went to a lot of companies. Um, we had solutions that would meet today's demand back then, mm -hmm. but they're like, oh, sustainability is cool, but I don't think we have the budget for it. It's not yeah. at the top of most people's priorities. Yeah. And as you as you see, like uh, in 2021, more people became aware of it because of all the global initiatives. People started talking about the UN SDGs when no one even knew what SDGs were like a year before yeah. that. And then, um, you know, the, and then people got more and more educated about net zero, the efforts and initiatives uh, countries are taking. And now you can see that you go to a company, it's at the top of their list. Yeah. Most bigger companies, most manufacturing companies, energy companies, it's like sustainability is plastered everywhere. So you know, even if you look at F&B, right? Mm -hmm. Nestle, uh, Coca-Cola, not, not sure how much they're actually doing, but for them, it's, it's up there like, as one of their priorities that, um, in fact, I think for Coca-Cola on their business cards, there's a whole like journal, like a statement about sustainability. Yes. They're coming into the plan. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's refreshing to see that shift in mindset, uh, but it's a result of education. So our hope is that we were able to spread this to the, the local demographic as well. Yeah, I mean, if anybody's listening or watching and they don't know what UN SDGs are, it's the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And uh, have a look at that, Google it. Uh, yeah. We want the UN SDGs to spread like STDs. <laughs> <laughs> Alright? <laughs> that's the takeaway from today. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I guess yeah. um, that's all we have for part one. Um, looking forward to have part two with you yeah. guys. Yeah. Our cool. next topic that would be... Maybe we will share it later. Yeah, I think sure. we'll keep the suspense. Yeah. Yes. I think, I think there's so many possibilities, so it can keep yeah, guessing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and thank you, thank you guys and for coming down and joining me on this podcast. Um, yeah. yeah, we will look forward to spreading more awareness on Green Tech and hopefully um, get more people to join this industry. All right, see you, you. all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>